If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, like Adam said, if you don't have your Bible, there should be uh, a black Bible somewhere around your feet or your neighbor's foot. Um, if, if you accidentally touch their foot, just apologize and grab the Bible. Um, but uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I, just, I just love this season. I love Christmas. Um, it probably has something to do with the fact that uh, the Christmas season is my first real memory of church. Uh, when I was, um, for those of you who've heard my story, when I was little, my dad took me to church for like six months um, on the back of his Harley. There was like that Bikers for Christ. I think that's still, that's still a thing. I see that. Um, and so he wasn't a part of that, but he had friends, so he'd go, and, and it was during the Christmas time. Um, in California, you can ride motorcycles during Christmas time. Um, and so we'd go to church, and uh, I remember Joy to the World was like the first Christian song I ever learned how to sing. Um, and so I, I just love this time. It reminds me of that. It reminds me of good times going to church when I was younger. Um, but also, uh, I'm just super excited to be here with you guys. Like, I love, I love this family. Um, so a couple people asked me, you know, this, this past couple of weeks, like, hey, we're going to have church. Christmas Eve starts, is on a Sunday. Someone had thought Christmas was on a Sunday. That was last year. But someone had, hey, we're going to have church. Christmas Eve's on a Sunday. I was like, absolutely. Like, there's no other place I'd rather be right now than with this family and these people. So I'm just really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited um, that we'd get to, uh, to be here. The, the last reason I'm excited, because I was a little nervous after last week, that those of you who heard Brian preach might try and remove me and, and hire Brian full-time. Um, he did a, a spectacular job. Um, Brian's a, a good friend of mine, um, and he just did a really good job and brought the word and continued this Advent series. Um, I was here last week, but we had a kind of a busy week. We had um, our child. Margie's here this week with our baby. Um, you might not see him. He looks, might just look like a big growth on Margie, but that's a baby in a wrap. Um, and so we, we were kind of busy last week, so Brian stepped in and, and uh, preached and Brian made mention of this, but it, it isn't easy to let anyone just come in and preach to, to you guys. Be, and it's not because I'm, uh, I'm selfish and I want to be the person in front of everyone, but it's because like, I, I have this deep love for the people here. And to let someone come and, and, and speak to them is just kind of nerve-wracking. It's like, man, what are they going to say? Because like, people have historically used this book for a lot of evil. Um, just, just to be honest, like, this book is incredible. It's a great book. But people have used uh, this book to bring a lot of guilt to people, bring a lot of shame to people. That's not what it's intended for. Um, and guilt's a powerful tool, right? So like guilt really drives change, uh, not good change, not lasting change, but it sure does drive change. It's a powerful tool. And so it's, it's nerve wracking letting someone come up here and, and preach. And uh, Brian's someone I trust. And, um, and, and so I was just thankful that he was here and able to, to kind of bring that to you guys. So, um, but seriously, this is, this is family. This is, this is why I want to be here this morning. So we're, this morning, we're going to continue and end our Advent series. I want to look at a passage of scripture that I think we all know, um, but uh, we often hear, it's, it's, in our, it's in our nativity scenes, but we don't typically talk about it that much or what it means or why this even happens. So we're going to look at the story of the, the three magi or the three wise men or the three kings um, from Orient R. Uh, that's from a, a song. But um, we're going to look at that and we're going to uh, kind of go through that. We're going to pull some points out of that. Um, I want to warn you real quick, if you're just visiting here today, that these points aren't going to be overtly Christmassy. Uh, we're going to read a Christmas story, I promise. Um, actually, it'll be like two years after Christmas. We'll get into why that is. But we're going to read this story, and, and, and it's not going to be overtly or like necessarily super Christmassy. Um, but I think it's in the Bible, and we should, we should talk about it. So we're going to read it together. Uh, the words will be up here, and you have your Bibles down below you. So we'll read Matthew chapter 2 together. 
Starting in verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, that, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so there's this, there's this story, and there's three things I want to show you in this text that, again, aren't necessarily overly Christmassy, but, um, but they're here, they're present, I want to talk about them. So the, the first one I want to talk about um, is this. So when we talk about the promises of God being fulfilled in Jesus, we talked about this on week one of Advent, that the promises of God are, are fulfilled in Jesus. Um, the first one we're going to see fulfilled here is, 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 in, is, in, is, is uh, in Genesis 12, God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless the nations through his seed. That someone through the line of Abraham is going to bless the nations. We start to see this prophecy fulfilled because we have the first three people coming to worship Christ that we, that we see here are not, are not from Israel. They're not Jewish. They're from the nations. They are part of the nations. They are Gentiles. They are, they are not Jewish. They are not Israel. I, I'm guessing probably most of us in here today are like that. We're not Jewish. Um, yet we, we're here and, and, and most of us are probably worshiping Christ. And so this is the first of that promise being fulfilled that, that all the nations will be blessed with the seed of Abraham, including these three kings, these three magi, these three wise men. Um, and, and I want to talk a little bit about what we know about these three men. And it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, we, what we know about these three men is like literally nothing. We just don't know anything about them. The only thing we literally know about them is they're from the East. Uh, and so everything we talk about the wise men, we're guessing about the wise men. Like we typically guess that they're probably ba- Babylonian, like, cause that's East. Um, so we say like they were probably Babylonian. Um, the reason why we guess that is because if you, if you know your Old Testament a little bit, uh, the, the nation of Israel was taken to captivity into Babylon. And there was a guy named there, Daniel. And Daniel wrote a bunch of prophecies that had come true. And, and, and some of the prophecies were about the birth of, of Jesus Christ, about uh, a Messiah. And so they might have these writings in Babylon. They might have these prophecies in Babylon. So it makes sense that these kings going through the writings of their history would come upon something. And, and they remember, they see this star, like we've read that before. We, we've, we've read about something like that before. They go back and research and they start heading, heading west. Um, we, we think they're, they're, they're either that, they're pro- they could be... Uh, just Arab, from an Arab nation. Um, we don't know, but what we, what we definitely know is that we're seeing the first fruits of God's promise to rescue and ransom people from among the nations. Now, um, one thing I want to say about this, we talk about the nativity scene. This could get me in trouble here, um, but I, I feel like it's necessary to do it because it's here. 
Um, the more we try to Americanize the nativity scene, we try and westernize the, the nativity scene, and the more we, we rob it of its actual power. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is the more you look at these nativity scenes and you see this like white Jesus and white Mary and Joseph, and, and you have these wise men. Typically, I don't know why, but only one of them is always black. Is that like, is that just me? That's like a weird, like why? There, there are three kings from the east. Just one of them though is dark skinned. The other one's or not. It's just this weird, like, how did we land on this picture of the nativity scene? Um, several years ago, I was, I was watching um, Fox News. Don't, don't get mad. I, I, I get my news from a, a lot of sources, not just Fox News. But I was happy to watch Fox News, um, and, and, and Megan Kelly had this, this person on, this little girl, and, and this little girl was, was getting into some trouble and, uh, with, with conservatives, and she was, like, heralded by, by liberals because um, or, or, you know, the, the left and, 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 and giving, giving, giving some heat from the, from the right, they were, um, she had drawn a black Santa Claus, an African-American Santa Claus, and, and people were upset about that. And what Megyn Kelly said, I'll never forget, because it was the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It, she said, you can't change who Santa Claus was. Like, Santa Claus was a real person. He was. St. Nicholas was a real person, and he wasn't African-American. You can't change that. Just like, just like you, this is what she said. This isn't my words. This is what she said. Just like you can't change who Je- Jesus was white. You can't change that. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Because you're doing the exact same thing you accused that little girl of doing. That little girl was trying to contextualize Santa Claus and try and make Santa Claus look more like her. And Megan Kelly was doing the same thing with Jesus. She was trying to make Jesus look more like her. The, the, the reality is Jesus, Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was born in the Middle East. Uh, I've been in the Middle East. There aren't a whole lot of white people there unless they have like tourist visas. Um, and so it's just Jesus was, didn't look like that. He didn't have um, white complexion. And, and, and I think when we talk about the nativity scene, we talk about these wise men, it, it's, it's good for us to know that when we talk about God blessing the nations and not just his people, we're talking about us. Like we're the nations in America. We're not, we're not God's people. We're not we are the nations. We're chosen by God to be adopted into his people. We weren't there in the beginning. We are part of the nations that are being blessed by Abraham's seed. So we talk about the wise men coming from afar. That's just like us. That's absolutely just like us. And so I think, I think the reason why this is important is because when we, when we picture heaven, we picture the nativity scene, I think sometimes we like picture ourselves in heaven singing in English. I don't know if that's how it's going to be. I hate to say it to you. I don't know if we're going to be singing hymns in English in heaven like that because we just don't, we, we, I mean, like, there's no reason for that. There's no reason to believe that. It's not going to be King James English or any sort of English probably. I don't know. But we contextualize these things. But what we do know is from scripture is that God is drawing from all nations. He's drawing men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth for the glory of his name and for the joy of his people. And that will not be stopped. That promise will be fulfilled. It's been fulfilled and it's being fulfilled as people go out and preach the gospel. But the reason why this is important is because most people, most people become believers because Christ is being heralded. Someone is, is preaching Christ to people, but that's not the case uh, necessarily for these wise men. These wise men had a dream. They had a vision not to go back to Herod. Um, they, 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 they read these books. No one necessarily told them. They just kind of read these books probably. Again, we're guessing. Um, but God is using so many different means to bless his people. So many different means to bless people. There's this guy who, who visits um, the, the, um, the, the Bomars often. His name's Cash Godbold. He is, uh, he is just a, 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 he's some kind of guy. Uh, I like him a lot. And he's, he, he's got this really cool style. It's complete business on top and just like comfy on the bottom. 
Uh, what I mean by that is he wears like a blazer, collared buttons, and then sweats. Um, and I think that's because of his time in Africa where like he gets super cold easily. And so like he's got to be bundled up and just always wearing sweats. But he'll preach with like a blazer top, tie, not tie necessarily, but like collared shirt and sweats. Cash, cash God bold. Uh, God bold, yeah. But he tells these stories when he comes. And he's stories from, from, from either his time in Africa uh, preaching and, and, and living among um, uh, um, people in Africa, tribes in Africa who, who are typically Muslim or, uh, or his family. He comes from a family missionaries. And, and they, I don't remember if it was him who shared this story, if I read this story, I heard this story somewhere. I would imagine it was him because he shares stories like this all the time. But the, the story w- what goes that there's this guy um, who, who, who's in this country in the Middle East, and it's not a country that you should be wearing like an I Heart Jesus shirt in, you know, like one of those countries, like you're not just kind of passing out Bibles willy-nilly. And they're making this, this trip across the country, and the car is getting low on gas, so they, they pull off to get the gas station. At the gas station, there's this, there's this man there who, who's, who's obviously Muslim. He's got like, Muslims wear a certain kind of, kind of headdress. Uh, it's not necessarily a turban like we all think. Um, but it's like this, like this cap that they wear. Um, so he's got this cap on. It's like, obviously it's for religious reasons. And so he's kind of nervous at this point because he's like this white guy in the middle of the desert filling his car up with gas. And there's just one guy there. But the guy's kind of old and weathered. So he's not super nervous. Um, so so he's, he's pumping gas and he, he gets in the car and he's driving off and he starts to, to confess to his wife, just kind of out loud talking like, man, I really, I really felt like I should have talked to that guy. I really felt like I should have... Um, uh, you know, preach the gospel to that guy. But I, I just like, man, I was just scared. Like, like, you know, like that could be like the last time I preached the gospel and stuff. And so his wife, and I love this part of the story. His wife says these words. I'll never forget these words. She said, I'd rather be married to a martyr than a coward. And so he turned around like super fast and that'll do it to any man. So he just turns around, whips the car around, goes back. He's like, all right, well, this is, this is how we die. So he goes back, he gets out of the car and he goes and he starts, hey man, like this is gonna be weird for you, but I just feel like I need to tell you about this Jesus. And the man replies back to him, I had a dream two days ago that I was supposed to come here and wait and someone was gonna tell me about Jesus. And it's just the craziest stories and story after story about that. But here, here's what happens with, that story, with those stories. Those stories of, of these visions of these dreams, they, 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 people have these visions and dreams, but almost always the stories I've heard includes them going to find someone to talk about Jesus. The story and the vision itself isn't necessarily preaching the gospel, but it's like, hey, there's something more to, to your belief system than what you have. Go here, go talk to this person, go find this person. That person's going to tell you. The good news of Jesus Christ, the, the, the blessing of the nations is happening and God's doing it. God's heralding the good news himself through dreams and visions and, and forcing people and pushing people to go talk to people. And he's doing it through his people all over the world in various different ways. And that promise is being kept. And the reason why that's super important is because, because that promise of thousands of years ago is being kept, we can be confident in all the promises of God. Because those wise men, the first fruits of God blessing the nations, because that promise was kept, we can be confident that all of God's promises will be kept. When God says, I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna wipe away every tear, I'm gonna wipe away all the pain, all the hurts. That, As my son's Bible says, I'm gonna make all untrue things go away. Like that idea, that truth, because that promise of blessing the nations was kept in the birth of Jesus Christ, we can know that all of God's promises will be kept. And that is incredible news for Christmas. Sometimes God heralds the good news and blesses nations through dreams and visions. Sometimes it's the simply the proclamation of his word. But anyway, he draws men unto himself because he is the God of the nations. 
Psalm 89, or 86, uh, verse 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Then Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will now be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. See, see in high school, um, we have this thing called See You at the Pole. Uh, they, they still do that. And so we gather around the flagpole and we're praying. And, and this guy, Robbie, Robbie Valine, comes up and, and uh, he yells. He, he yells something to the effect. I don't remember exactly what he yelled because it's kind of hard because someone's praying. He's yelling like a whole paragraph of argument. Um, but he says something to the effect like, religion is the cause of like all the death in the world and all the murder in the world. And, and he says this. And this is a big argument against Christianity, against religion in general. Um, and so, and so me and, me and Robbie, had, Robbie in high school had gone back a lot in different classes in AP Euro. And, um, I know AP Euro sounds like I was really good in school. I didn't, I didn't pass it. So I still didn't, I still struggled throughout school, but I was in AP Euro once and then English class. And, and I was in debate class, which might shock some people, but, um, and so, so, so we're, we're, we're talking about this, but, but the reality is, is, is when it comes to religion being the biggest cause of murder in the world, there's, there's a couple things you can't do with that. Um, you can't say he's necessarily just outright wrong um, because a lot of people had di- have died in the name of religion. A lot of people have died in the name of Christianity. And whether we talk about the Crusades, we can get into why the Crusades, but I don't think it matters why the Crusades happened. Christians were killing people and that's not good. Okay, it's not good. And so we talk about that. We, we can't just say, no, you're wrong. But here's what we can talk about is that it's not really religion that's the problem. It's the human heart. Because we can take it all the way to Russia, communist Russia. One thing about communist Russia we have to understand is that was a completely religion-free zone. Religion was illegal. And that turned out in mass genocide. We talk about North Korea. North Korea did not have religion either. We know what's going on in North Korea even today is not good. So religion can't inherently be the problem because when you take religion out of places like China, Russia, North Korea, good things don't happen. It's not like this enlightenment, like, oh, religion's gone, everything's great. Religion inherently is not the problem. The human heart, the human condition is the problem. And it's this broken, busted up human heart, human spirit that has to have the transforming power of the gospel. And God is fulfilling that promise and redeeming men and women all over the world from places where there is no religion to places like here today in America. And, and, and the last thing I want to say about Americanizing the, uh, the, 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 the nativity before we move on from this, this idea um, is that I, I love, uh, huge respect and love Ronald Reagan. But when he says things like America is the shining city on a hill, he is absolutely butchering the Bible because America is not a shining city on a hill. The church is. The point of that passage of scripture is Jesus saying the church is going to be a shining city on a hill, a, a great hope to the world. And there's going to be, and I, I think God has absolutely blessed America and I hope and pray that he still does. But even if he doesn't, the church will still be here. The church will still be a hope to the nations. The church will still be a shining city on the hill because it's not gathering from one country, but it's gathering from all over the world, from as far from the east is to the west. He's gathering so many different people, so many different tongues and nations. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And God's keeping that promise. The second thing that we want to see here um, is a little bit more heartbreaking and a bit scary. And it's this idea that you can, you can absolutely know your Bible and know it well, but still miss Jesus. And, and, and it's in this text, and we, we look at this. Um, we look at this, and we're going to look at the, 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 the scribes and the, the chief priests and the Pharisees. Before we get there, um, 
I think this is easier to talk about today because we, um, or easier to do today because we live in a, uh, a culture where we kind of just, we kind of like to watch people and look at people. Um, I, we're going to have a time of confession here in just a second, um, but you don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think to yourselves, how many of you, just think to yourselves, you don't have to raise your hand, I won't embarrass anyone. We'll do that later, but um, just think to yourself, how many of you have like face social media stalked someone in your life? Just any time in your life, just straight up social media stalked them. And I don't mean like constantly stalked, but at one point you're like, hey, I wonder what this person's doing, what this person's up to. And you go and you search their name, you try and find them, you try and figure out what they're doing. I think, that, I think 95, 99% of us have probably social media stalked someone. The reason why that's important is because we live in this culture where we think we know people, we don't actually know them. See, there's this idea we can know about a lot of people. We can know a lot about certain people, but we don't actually know them. And so I want, to, I want us to get this point where we understand there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. And so what, what the Bible is going to show here is that you can know about Jesus and all the right things about Jesus and not know him. And what's scarier is he might not know you because of that. And so we're going to read this in, in, the, in the, the chief priests and the... Um, the Pharisees, it says in Matthew chapter two, verse three, it says, um, just look at this with me. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And, and the reason why he's troubled is because he's the king of Israel. He's the head of Israel. So the king of, of Israel being born troubles him greatly. And so it says in verse four, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of all the, of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here's something that just blows me away. He calls the chief priests, he calls the scribes, he calls all the, all the, the, the big religious leaders unto him and says, where are they going to be born? And they say, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then they just go back to life. There's nothing in the text that, should, that, that even hints at them packing up and going to Bethlehem to try and find this child. They knew exactly where he's going to be born. They knew, um, they knew just as much about the star as the three wise men did, and yet nothing changed in their life. They just told Herod that, yeah, this is where he's going to be born, and they go back over, they go back to their life. How can you be trained in and know so well the beautiful, deep truths of God and yet be unmoved by them? And see, one of the things I've tried to say over and over again in the last couple years of The Grove is that you can be, you can know all the right things about God and have made all the intellectual acknowledgements of, yeah, I believe God exists. I believe Jesus exists. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe that he resurrected. You can know all that and believe all that, but not be moved by that and not be saved by that. Because belief in the Bible isn't just this intellectual, yes, I think that happened, but it's this trust in, it's this leaning on, it's this throwing my life on, this is my only hope, and on this my life is going to lean on, and if this falls apart, my whole life falls apart. But I believe that it won't, so I'm leaning on it with my whole life. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a way in which you can know your Bible and know all the truths and the facts of Jesus. There's a way that you could know everything a Christian's supposed to know, yet not know the God of the universe and him not know you.
The reason why this is important, we live in an age where that's so easy and so easy. In fact, Jesus is going to say it himself uh, in John 5. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me that you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They're reading scriptures and Jesus is right there. They don't realize that the scriptures are pointing them to Christ. Instead, they just keep reading and reading and reading and reading and never look up to see Christ. And my fear, and one of the main reasons we planted this church, because I fear that's a huge swath of the people living in our community. They know so much about Jesus, but they don't know him. They're not experiencing his love and his, the life that is to be found in him. They're not experiencing the joy that is to be found in Christ. I heard, I heard a pastor explain once that, that what this is like is like if I was reading a book about dating Margie and I, I'm reading this book, I'm on a date with Margie, I'm reading this book about dating Margie, and I get to a chapter that says, Margie hates when I read books when I'm dating Margie, on a date with Margie, and I get to that chapter, I'm reading it, and Margie's like, hey, like, I'm right here, can you put the book down? I'm like, no, 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 I'm reading about dating you, you should be happy, I'm reading, and I'm reading, I'm reading, but I'm missing the whole point of the book, is that Jesus is right here, and he's to be had, he's to be enjoyed, he's to be followed and chased after. And so, when it comes to this, you see the wise men, man, they, they made this great move of their lives. Traveling west is not, was not as easy back then as it is today. Like my parents live out west, and we've gone and visited them. And it's not, I mean, we haven't gone and visited them lately because we have all these children. It would not be easy with all these children. But it's significantly easier than it was back then. We just pack our bags, hop on a plane, and go. Back then, you're talking about years of, of a journey. In fact, we, we think it probably, they showed up in Jerusalem probably about a year and a half to two years after they saw the star. Man, I could travel west in like three, six hours without a layover. It might take like 12 in Dallas, but there, it wouldn't take as long. It would take a year and a half. They changed their whole life. They changed the course of everything because they saw this star and they believed it to be true and they went there. And what did they do when they got there? They bowed down and they worshiped a one and a half, two-year-old Jesus. Now think about that. If you guys want to see what a two-year-old is like, go see Siloam after church and think to yourself, would I ever worship something like this? Because, I, man, Salome, I love Salome to death, but she does so many things that would cause me never to worship her. One of them is like pooping on herself. Like, I just don't know if I could worship something that poops on itself. But these wise men, they show up a year and a half, two years after Jesus is born, and they bow down on their knees and they worship. And they give these gifts. And these gifts were expensive gifts. And, and I don't want you to hear me saying you have to give something to Christ because the Bible is clear that all you need is faith. And that faith comes from God. But there has to be this faith, this leaning on, this trusting in Christ, this repentance and turning away from your sin and turning towards him and chasing after him. If you, I think it's great that you got baptized when you were seven. I think that's fantastic. But if that didn't lead to a change in your life, I'm not sure that meant anything. That's all I'm saying. When we read scripture, we, we, there's no desire to follow Jesus. Just because you prayed a prayer and got baptized doesn't mean you're saved. I think it could be evidence that you might have been saved, but if you're sitting here today and you have no real desire to follow Jesus or to, for his word or for him at all or to, to worship him, but I wonder if you're more like the, the chief priests and the Pharisees and you, you read these things like, yeah, these things are totally true, but it hasn't changed your life. It hasn't changed the trajectory of your life at all. You're right where you would have been without him. Back into your normal life. No marks of repentance, no real seriousness about submitting your life to the Lord or following him reveals far more that you're probably not saved. 
look, I know it's Christmas Eve, right? Like, is this, is this really, man, I brought my family here today. Like, is this really the, the, the sermon you're going to preach? And like, I just can't help but like read the story of Christmas. And there's so much, so much truth in it that we have to talk about these things. Would it really be loving of me to read this story of scripture and say, you know what? I can't talk about these people because it's Christmas. And like, maybe next week, what if someone's not here next week? What if someone's like not on this earth next week? Like, I can't help. I'm just compelled to read scripture and just to preach that Christ is here. He's come. He's waiting for you. He's, he's calling out to you. And the fact, the fact that you're here today is, is huge evidence that he's calling you and he wants your life. He wants you. And the question is, what, what are you going to do? The only thing he asks is that you would believe in him, trust in him, put your faith in him and repent of your sin and turn towards him. And I promise you this idea of repentance, this turning from your sin and turning towards Christ is such good news because he is so much better than anything else in your life. All these idols we have in our life, and idols can be good things. Idols can be food. It can be um, comfort. It can be family. All these things you have that you're so scared you're going to lose. Jesus is so much better than those things, and he promises never, you're never going to lose it. You're never going to lose him. Nothing can come between you and Christ. And he's so much better than everything we stay up late at night worrying about. These men changed their entire life for Christ. All you have to do is give, give faith. There was this, uh, when I was little, my parents would give me some money to buy them Christmas gifts. Does anyone else's parents do that? Like, I was little, they'd give me like, like we weren't like a rich family, so like, they'd give you like $15. Here's $15, go buy your mom and me some gifts. And it was really cool because at, at school, they had this like gift shop that would open up like once a year. Like these people would come, it's like, the, like a traveling gift shop. They'd go to different schools and they'd open up in the library and we'd go in and we'd have like $15 and we could pick out all from these gifts. And they'd even help show us how to wrap it because I um, wasn't really good at that. And so they'd help us wrap it. Like I just put everything in bags or I get wrapping paper and I put in wrapping paper and I like fold it over and tape it and then just kind of like roll up the sides and put bows on it like it's like a big piece of candy. Um, so those are like my two go-tos when it comes to wrapping gifts. And so They'd help you wrap it so I could have something presentable for my parents. And, and the funny thing is, is if you think about it, my, my dad gave me $15 to go buy him and my mom gifts. Like, they aren't really gaining anything, are they? They're not gaining anything at all. And that's this idea. When C.S. Lewis wrote this story about um, people get this phrase from uh, sixpence, none the richer, um, that, that a father would give his child sixpence to buy him a gift for his birthday or Christmas or whatever is actually sixpence, none the richer. He didn't gain anything. And so you and I have nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. We don't have anything to give Christ. We can say things like, oh, I gave my life to Christ, but really like, like which part of your life do you think was yours to give? Like we have nothing to give Christ. The only thing he asks for is faith. So this idea that the, the wise men brought gifts isn't necessarily we need to bring gifts to the feet of Christ, but it's the idea they're willing to give up everything, their riches, just to worship so seriousness, so serious is God about this message, this idea that it's here in his birth of Jesus, that by faith, the wise men risked their lives and walked across the ancient world. By faith, they stopped in Jerusalem. By faith, they worshiped a two-year-old who is completely reliant upon his mother to feed him, care for him, and protect him. We see in the text that there's, there's no miraculous sign when they show up. He doesn't call them by name when they roll in, but they worshiped him, faith alone. This is the beauty 
of the incarnation of God. That God has invaded the dark places of this world and brought light. And he's put an anchor down for our souls. That we can always know that this truth is real. That Christ has come and that he's called us. That by faith alone we might be saved. By faith alone we might be children of God. And that he sends us out into the world to make much of his name. Sends us out in the world to make much of him. And in that, when we give gifts, we're not necessarily giving them straight to Christ. We're not bringing anything to lay down at the foot of Christ, but we're just generous with our lives. So this last point has more to do with these gifts. And so when these gifts, when they gave the, the, Jesus these gifts, again, doesn't mean that we have to do anything for our salvation, but that we give our lives over to God and everything in our lives. And we're generous with our time, generous with our, with our skills and our talents. We're generous, generous with our finances. We're not going to take an offering. Don't get scared. Um, but we're generous with all of our life. So th- this, past, um, this past year, we've had some, some real opportunities to do that um, at this church. And so uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, we, uh, several of us got together. We didn't do a good job announcing this, and so some of you guys missed out, and I apologize. But some of us got together um, to, to just buy some gifts for some people in hospice. Um, and so we got, we, I think it was, ended up being four families, right, Whitney? We got gifts for four families. And, um, and so a lot of us spent some time and we went, uh, had to go to Walmart and buy stuff for four families. It's a lot to do. Uh, you had like three or four carts just filled up with stuff and uh, with kids and tow and everything. And I saw, I saw a picture and the picture looked really nice. I doubt it was that nice at the time, um, but the picture looked nice. And so, and then, then they came back and a lot of us wrapped it, put it in, 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 uh, in bags. When I say wrap, I mean, we put it in bags, put tissue paper over it. But we did that, and then, and then some people who weren't even there that night went and delivered some of them. Um, and, and it wasn't just because we like, want to feel good about ourselves and put it on Instagram how great we are, because we're just generous. We want to be people who are generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our, our talents. And then um, other things, you know, this, this past uh, year we, we've had where we just, um, as a church, we, we've given money to, to things like uh, uh, different mission organizations. And in the Philippines, we have people from the Philippines come up here and actually share what's going on. We help give to their, to their, to their church that they're, they're building in the Philippines and to their daughter who's a missionary. And, uh, and we, we give regularly to uh, Cassidy, her name's not Hershey anymore. It's Cassidy Trent's wife. And um, I, I bet she'd hate be calling that. What? Gustafson. How can I forget such a cool last name? Gustafson. Um, Cassidy Gustafson. Um, I guess it's really like 1990s of me to assume she took his last name, isn't it? Um, but let's just say she did. Cassidy Gustafson, a uh, missionary in New York, and I think she's going she's gonna to start doing stuff in Raleigh with foreign exchange, or not foreign exchange students, uh, international uh, students at, at uh, um, Carolina and uh, in Raleigh. And so it's just some really cool things we're able to do as a church and uh, volunteer our time to go down to uh, Troutacular, uh, and just be with kids and, and fish, fishing um, and, and help parents have a good time with their kids and uh, go to Child Fest. And, and, and just like a couple, couple months ago, we had, um, and don't get mad, we had a Halloween party here and we'd called it Halloween. It's a whole thing. We can talk about it later. Um, but we had, we had like six pots of chili we ran out with in like an hour. We had like 12 huge bags of candies. We had over 300 people come up here and to get their pictures taken. We just try and be, and, 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 and people, you guys sitting in these seats, volunteered, your entire Halloween night, some of you, just to be here and bless these families. You didn't get to go out and do your own Halloween thing. You were here blessing other people's families, blessing other people's kids. And I just want to thank you for that. 
And that's the kind of generosity these wise men show, the kind of generosity I want this church to can, has shown and to continue to show, is that we don't have to wait till Christmas to be generous. We can be generous all long, and not because we have to to please God or to please others, because God has been so generous with us by giving his son to die for us so that we wouldn't have to. And we'll close with that. That's just the good news of Christmas is that, man, the whole Christmas story really just paints this picture that God knew exactly how sinful and how dark your heart would be. Doesn't that sound like Christmas? That's what Christmas is about. God knew how sinful and dark your heart would be. And so he decided to come down to be born in a feeding trough, leaving his throne in heaven to come down to live, be born among animals just so he could die. That was the plan all along. That wasn't like a plan B. There was no, like, I'm gonna be born, I'm gonna try and save everyone. And he comes and he, and he tries to save everyone. Everyone's like, no, we don't want you. So he's like, well, I guess I have to die. Then no, that was his plan all along was to die for you so that you wouldn't have to. Not a plan B, that was plan A for God. So he left his throne in heaven, came down to earth to lie in a manger, among, be born among animals, to live a life every day knowing I'm only here to die. I'm only here to die. In fact, I created, I formed the tree that I'm to hang on. Think about that. Jesus, I mean, Colossians tells us that everything that exists is created through him and by him and for him. So there's some point when Jesus is creating trees, he's creating a specific tree that he knows this is the tree, this is the type of tree that I am to die on someday for my people. Jesus did that for us and all he asked for in return is faith, belief, trust in him. So my prayer, if that's you today, and maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were little or you, you uh, made some sort of confession and really never changed your life. Maybe you're here today and you, and you feel God is, is, is calling you. I pray that you would just answer that call. We're gonna, we're gonna play a couple songs in a minute. They're, they're kind of Christmas, they're not kind of, they're definitely Christmassy. Um, and, and I pray during that time, you can sing, you can stand, you can do whatever you want, but but if that's you and you're just like, man, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've, I've, I've made this decision before, but I'm just not where I know God would have me, where I'm supposed to be, that you would just, just keep working in your heart and your soul that, man, maybe, maybe there's something more to um, Christianity than just intellectually acknowledging that Christ was real. There's something more to that. And you'd work that out. If you want to come talk to somebody, come talk to me. Um, but I'd be, I'll be here. We'll be here afterwards. And um, my prayer is that you wouldn't leave here today without, without wrestling in your heart where you are on this Christmas, where you are with Christ on this Christmas. And so uh, we'll listen to a couple songs and I'll come. Father, I just, uh, I just come before you, Lord, just super thankful um, for this season, God. I just love it so much, God. I pray, Lord, that today, if there's anyone here today who's just kind of wrestling in their heart with, with salvation, I pray that that would continue until uh, you've kind of given them your answer, God. Um, and I pray that if anyone feels called this morning uh, to repent and to be baptized, Lord, that you would just lay that on their heart, Lord, and they would come talk to me and we can, we can talk through that and set that up, God. And I uh, lastly just want to pray for these kids, Lord, that you continue to bless the kids of the Grove, Lord, uh, and seedlings, God, and that you would just continue to grow them in knowledge and, um, and, and love for you, God, and that you would use the seedlings, kids ministry, Lord, to just do mighty things in this next generation, God, um, that, that sometimes the, uh, the, the biggest uh, contribution to the kingdom we make is anything we do, but it's, it's children we raise or it's um, 
people we influence, Lord. So I pray that we'd use seedlings to influence these children, whether they're our children or someone else's, Lord. We just use this to influence them and uh, to make a huge impact in this world, God. That, that all the nations of the earth might be blessed, not just uh, one or two, but all, every trung, nation, and tribe, God. Lord, we love you and we trust you. I pray you'd bless the people here today and this week that they'd spend time with their family uh, or spend time with friends, God, and you would just bless that. Um, whether, whether they came in today, Lord, singing joy to the world, and this is a great time, you would just bless that because it's rare. Or if they came in just having a tough time this Christmas, God, that the promise that you're enough would just ring true this season, God. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.